Uh, I'm very, very excited. I love Christmas. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I love it. Um, and I love this message that we're going to look at from this passage in the Old Testament. Keep it open if you've got your Bibles in front of you. We'll need to, we're going to deep dive into it this morning. We've got used, haven't we, to seeing our political leaders standing at lecterns outside their official residences or inside their very swanky press briefing rooms because of all things COVID particularly, having to make important statements, give us bad news, instructions, new rules, declarations of intent. Here, they say, is how we must live in these difficult and dark times. Do you remember this 630 days ago? I must, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must, you must stay at home. Oh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Who knows what the next week will hold? We'll obviously keep you up to speed on that. It could well be that we go round the cycle again. Let's pray that doesn't happen, but who knows? Isaiah 9, I want to suggest to you, is a declaration of intent from God. It's like he stands on his holy lectern and he speaks a word to the whole of human history, to the whole of God's people, to the whole world, past, present, and future. And he doesn't have bad news, he has good news. For us, he says, a son is given. And on his shoulders shall be the government of the whole world. Isaiah, this prophet sent by God, declares in the midst of human history, in the dark and difficult times, that God is acting decisively as he said he would. He is coming in the form of the Messiah and he is going to fix the problems of our world. He's going to put right that which has gone wrong. He's going to bring true justice once and for all to all creation. And it turns out that this Messiah is God himself. We know that it's Jesus the God who incarnates himself. He doesn't send someone. He comes to us as himself. He sends himself in human form. Jesus, the true king of the whole world. In Isaiah, God is saying, here is what I'm going to do. And here is why. I'm going to act decisively in human history to deal once and for all with the mess and pain and darkness of the world that we endure by coming to you and by becoming one of you. This is the message of Christmas. It's not warm and fuzzy feelings around Christmassy lights and nice music and nice food and gifts, as good and as wonderful as all of that is. It is that God has acted decisively in human history. Not just for you and me personally, but for all of us publicly, globally. It's good news, truly good news. We wait, we wait for the fullness of all that has begun. More of that in a moment, but it's good news. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That is why human history is split into two. There's before Christ and after Christ. It literally is the moment in human history that changes everything. Let's not lose sight of that in the coming weeks. 
This is not the first time that God has issued instructions from his holy lectern to his people. It's not the first time in history that he'd made statements of intent, declarations of what needed to happen, what was true. Genesis 2 and 3, the right at the beginning of the Bible, it tells us of how the relationship between humanity and God had severed and what that meant. And it tells us that right from the very, very beginning, right from that moment, God starts to take the initiative to put things right. Sin and death have come into the world, we're told, not at God's behest, but as the consequence of our choices to reject him and who we are called to be in him. That is the great challenge of the Christian faith to our secular world, that we need saving from ourselves. And God, you see, is heartbroken at this. God is not up for this. This is not what he had in mind. This is not his intention. And so he begins to put things in motion to put it right. So he acts through Noah and the ark and the flood. He acts through Moses, this crazy guy who gets all sorts of things wrong, but God uses him to lead the people out of slavery to Egypt towards the promised land. He acts through David, this king who was a shepherd boy, who didn't get it all right either, but is one of the greatest kings that ever lived, from whom his line comes Jesus. And, and, and through David, he ushers in something of a prototype of the kingdom of God. He spoke. He spoke a word regularly through the psalmists, these psalms of hope and joy and of lament that speak of the heart of God, the intentions of God, the plans of God. He spoke through the wisdom of Solomon in the Proverbs, he spoke through the kings and the judges. He made clear his intentions and plans, the rescue plan for all creation through the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments in particular. He was present with them, first in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as they journeyed to the promised land and then in the tent of meeting and then in the temple courts, the holy of holies. But despite all of this and despite one prophet after another being sent to God by God to remind his people of who they are, of what he said, of what they're called to be and what they're called to do and why they're called to be. You, he said, will be a light unto the world. Despite all of that, they don't do it. They don't live as God intends. They fail repeatedly and nothing ultimately changed. They didn't live in and from his presence. They didn't live in and from his love. They didn't live in and for his glory. They didn't live in and for his purposes. And so God makes the decision to act on our behalf. You can't do it. So I will do it. And I'll do it in and through my son, Jesus Christ, once and for all. Friends, this changes everything. It changes everything. You can't make sense of Good Friday and Easter without the incarnation at Christmas. And nor can you make sense of Good Friday and Easter without the incarnation. You can't make sense of it all without one bit or the other. I got jumbled there. Maybe I said the same thing twice. You get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> ah! It's one story. It doesn't begin at Christmas. It begins in Genesis 1. Jesus is the star of the story, but he's not the start. 
or that he's there at the start. And so Christmas comes as this gift to us, not just so we go, oh yeah, God loves us, God's with us, isn't that amazing? But so we can look at the world as it is. We can look at our lives as they are. We can look at the mess and the pain and the darkness of our moment in history and go, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Because God has come. God began something in Jesus and he is going to finish it. Jesus comes as God. He incarnates himself. He literally, it means to take on flesh. He comes into our world, into our story, into our mess, to set us free from sin and from death, to liberate us to live as he intends. And just like we get these strategic leaks, don't we, from the government, Boris is going to say this at five o'clock tomorrow. Isaiah is essentially giving one big global heads up. This is who God is. This is how he's going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to mean. Pay attention. And for a considerable amount of time, the people of God held this promise before them. But centuries later, the memory of the story of the promise of the hope had gone. And so we're told in the New Testament that when Jesus appears, they don't recognize him. They've forgotten the good news, the promise. So why do I say all of this? That was just my introduction, by the way. It's a long morning. We've got a bit longer because the kids are out. I shouldn't have told you that. Um, it's not because I'm about to make a political statement about our current global situation, tempting as it is. It's to say this, that more than ever, you and I as the people of God, for reasons we'll come to at the end, must better, more fully understand who Jesus is and what Christmas is, both for us, but so that we can be that good news for the world that needs to hear it, that doesn't know it. Do you know, a couple of, uh, last week we had in here the first of many God willing carol services. We had the business community carol service in partnership with Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce. And there was a, a young woman in the, in the congregation that night uh, who said to me at the end, she said, she's 25, she said, I have never been to church. Like she'd never been inside a church building, never. I said, what did you think? She said, I loved it. Phew. It's worth all the effort. She said, I've never heard anything like what you said. Friends, people don't know this. They need to hear it, but it's got to be in us first. It has to be born afresh in us before it will come out of us as worship. The danger is that we can just, if we're not careful, reduce Jesus down to some spiritual choice on our terms. We can limit faith to the realm of the personal and its scope just to our lives and our interests. Christmas can just become this nice reminder that, that God didn't give up on us, that he loves us, that he's there somewhere. That's not what Isaiah would ever let us get away with. That's not what Jesus came for. That's not what he died for. The birth of Jesus is this declaration of God that I am acting decisively once and for all, for all. And for all time. This incarnation is a decisive interruption and intervention into human history. God steps in and he says, no more. 
No more. No more, because it breaks my heart. I sit with people week in, week out, who tell me the pain and the mess of their lives. We've all got it. We're quite good at hiding it, aren't we? Particularly, funnily enough, weirdly, on a Sunday morning at church. Go figure. Friends, we need to hear this too. Christmas isn't about escape from the mess and pain of the world. It's not just two weeks where we kind of numb ourselves to the reality. It's about a God who meets us in it, who steps into it, who takes it on, who takes on the consequences of it. I love what N.T. Wright, the theologian, says. He says this, The Christmas story, like Isaiah's prophecy, isn't about an escape from the real world of politics and economics, of empires and taxes and bloodthirsty wars. It's about God addressing these problems at last, from within, coming into our world, his world, and shouldering the burden of authority, coming to deal with the problems of evil and of chaos, violence and oppression in all their horrible forms. That's the message of Christmas. And the world needs to hear it. The birth of Jesus is good news. It's profoundly personal. Yes, of course it is. It's good news for you this morning in your own messy, painful story. But it's profoundly public. There's no such thing as private faith. As much as the secular agenda might want us to think that and tell us that, keep your religion private. Go read the book. Have you read it? Have you listened to what Jesus says? It's for you, it's personal, but it's for us, it's public. In its truest sense, it is political because it has to do with the affairs of people, of society and the people of God. We must not be quiet, but we speak loudest when we live out our hope in community potently, more than what we say, particularly in this cultural moment. So I want to suggest three things from this passage, that Isaiah, uh, this passage from Isaiah, that help us, I think, see who Jesus is and what his incarnation really means. And we haven't got time to go through it in loads of time in depth, but we've got a bit longer this morning. So three things. The first is this. I want to suggest to you that the gift of Jesus is better than we realize. The gift of Jesus is better than we realize. Verse 1 not going to read them out, but it'll come up on the screen. We have this moment where it starts, and we don't understand this because we don't know the geography of the ancient Near East. But what happens here is Isaiah says, divine intervention, this moment in history, it's not going to start in the obvious place. You know, Jesus HQ, Jerusalem. It's actually going to start in this northern outskirts region of Israel known as Galilee. It's like the back of beyond. It's the part of Israel that no one really wanted to live. Zebulun and Naphtali, they're like, people are like, what, where? What, who? Oh, in Galilee. Oh, right, oh, in Galilee. And it literally here, this phrase, Galilee of the nations, literally means Galilee of the Gentiles. It was so multi-ethnic. It was so kind of diverse that actually it was minority Jew. The Jewish people there felt long forgotten, long ostracized. And Isaiah says, God's going to start it there. This is better than we realize because this is a sign to us that this intervention is not just for some people. 
in some places. This is not just for the somebodies. You know how our world, it has a pecking order, doesn't it? There's always a pecking order, and you're never at the top. <laughs> you notice that? There's always some shinier, happier version of the world around us, some part you're never going to get the invite to. God says in Jesus, that's not how my kingdom works. I'm coming for the nobodies, the people who feel forgotten, you and me. Because deep in our hearts we know, don't we, we're just ultimately before Christ. We're not somebodies. We're ordinary people, made in the image of God, glorious, but we don't always feel like that. Isaiah's declaration is, I'm going to honour these places. I'm going to honour these people. I'm going to honour these stories. I'm going to redeem it all. I'm going to pull it all back together. I'm going to flip it the wrong way round, or maybe it's upside down and inside out and back the right way. After all, who knows? This is good news for you and me who, if we're honest, sometimes feel like we're frauds, faking it to make it. Is it just me? It's just me. That's really awkward. Uh, Jesus was born in a nowhere place, in a nowhere moment. No one noticed except some wise men. To nobody people. He's born to Mary, this pregnant, unmarried peasant girl. Joseph, who is like, what the How did that happen? In Bethlehem, I love Bethlehem, what? If you know John chapter one, Jesus is talking to some of the earliest disciples and one of the guys who's kind of trying to work out what the heck is going on is this guy called Nathaniel and they tell him about, the, 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 the disciples tell him about this Jesus rabbi guy who's come from Nazareth. Uh, and in my head, whenever I hear Nazareth now, I hear the song from the film, The Nativity. So I'm just gonna resist singing that. Uh, no, no, you really can't. Uh, it's bad enough my singing when I've not got a microphone on me. Nazareth, he says. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Our culture's not changed. There's a pecking order. There's a judgment call. All the church? Has the church got anything to say to this cultural moment? Can the church be any force for good? What this Christmas message tells us, friends, is that everyone matters. That everywhere matters. That everything matters. This is good news. This is the original leveling up, friends. And he does it. He did it. It's good news because it means your stuff, your story, the bits of your life that you've never told anybody else, your weird family inheritance, it doesn't matter. It means that your CV, your postcode, your status, your bank account, however impressive in the world's eyes, don't impress Jesus. You come as you are because there are no somebodies in the kingdom of God. There's only one somebody. I love that the, uh, the first people invited to go and sit at the feet of Jesus as he sits in that manger are shepherds. Because in that moment, some of you know this, they were the nobodies of that moment. They were the ostracized, long forgotten ones. No one wanted to be around a shepherd because they stank of their sheep. But here, these angels appear and say, it's good news. 
go and find him. And they do, they leave, their, shepherds don't leave sheep, but they leave their sheep because they know this is the moment. And so they go and they worship Jesus because in that moment, everything changes. The great, great preacher, R.G. Lee, put it like this. He says, in Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined. Born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty, no room for him who made all rooms, no place for him who made and knows all places, but his descendant, his, sorry, his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. This gift is better than we realize. It goes on, verse 2, the people walking in darkness, you and I have seen a great light. The phrase here, deep darkness, is literally translated shadow of death or death shadow. The people walking in the death shadow. The world is dying without Jesus. You and I are dying without Jesus. You and I are facing death. Some of you have got health things going on right now that mean you're afraid. Of course you are, because death is not what God intended for us. It's alien. It's not meant to be okay. It's hard. And the people, God says, who are walking in the death shadow have seen a great light. The literal phrase here is like a flash of light. The light flashed. It's like, it's happening. It's become. It's begun. It's, it's happening. Uh, one, one theologian talks about it. It's like it's the divine defibrillator. God is shocking creation back into life. It's begun. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? You and I walk in the death shadow, if not for Jesus, who brings life. And then verses 3 to 5, these always get missed out at carol services because no one understands them, and they're not very exciting if you don't understand them. They seem a bit weird, but actually they're really important. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. This is meaningful. This means something for us. This is good news. Isaiah is saying here, you are going to rejoice when this Messiah comes, just like you rejoice at the harvest, because all the work is done. You can enjoy it. You can rejoice just like a victorious army does, because the battle is won. But here's the difference. This isn't our hard work. It's not our victory. It's Jesus' hard work, his victory. And the victory, we're told, is complete. They make a, he makes a reference here to the battle uh, in Midian, Gideon's great victory over Midian in Judges 7, which in their mind would have been like, oh, yeah, that one. I learned about that at school. Uh, that's important. Oh, it's going to be like that. Notice this reference here. Every warrior's sandal, all the garments rolled in blood, the mess and pain of this world will be used for burning and fuel and fire. That was a symbol because that's what they did at the end of a battle. They burnt it all to say it's over. Notice in Revelation that Jesus is revealed with blood-stained robes. There's a day coming, says Isaiah, when the battle will be done. The work is done by Jesus and you will rejoice. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. 
And then there's this phrase that the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, it's broken and it's removed. No more slavery, no more human slavery, no more sin and death slavery, no more suffering, no more pain, no more pecking order. No more of that. Because what's happening in Jesus isn't just good news for you and me personally, it's public. This is the explosive news of a different empire, a different emperor, a different kind of emperor. Jesus isn't some kind of politician that we can just kind of pin our hopes on and hope he might be better than the last one. His way of establishing God's justice and peace on the earth was different to Caesar's. Different to the usual power games and money games. Different in source, different in method, different in effect. He comes to get the kingdom of God off the ground. Or or perhaps we should say precisely on the ground. In the mess and midst midst of the mess and pain of our life. In the real world. The kingdom of God gets established in Jesus. And he takes on the full force of the world's cruel systems. And he takes on the full force of sin and death. And he wins the victory. He completes the job. The battle is won. And joy comes in the morning. This, friends, is better than we realized. Number two, a little bit longer than number one. Jokes. Uh, Number two, the person of Jesus is bigger than we realize. Back in Isaiah 7, we're told that the Messiah, the Savior, the one sent by God, would be born into the world as a child. That alone is groundbreaking. No one was expecting that, but it gets better and bigger. Isaiah Isaiah makes clear that this one that is going to come as a child will be a son. And the phrase there, son, capital S, actually means divine king. This isn't just a human coming, which is what they were expecting. This is God himself coming as a human. And so we learn in Isaiah these famous verses that this child is way more than just a child. This child is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus doesn't come just to rescue us from sin and death. Jesus comes to establish something entirely new as well. And here's what it's going to be like, because this is what he's like. These aren't names for Jesus. These are descriptions of his character. And put them together, it's amazing. It's bigger than we realize. Wonderful counselor. The phrase there, wonderful, literally means beyond understanding. This counselor is incomprehensible. It's beyond our understanding. Jesus is wonderful incomprehensible we know that don't we we see in part but one day we'll see in full this counselor literally here the phrase here means one who plans with godly or divine wisdom this counselor there are some amazing counselors even in this room but they don't have the same level of divine wisdom they have some divine insight but here the wonderful incomprehensible unfully knowable jesus is the one with all divine wisdom to make a plan to lead the creation into its destiny He knows what he's doing. He can deal with your pain. He knows how to rectify this. We we, we hear these phrases at Christmas, don't we? What do they mean? This man, Jesus, is the wonderful 
incomprehensible, wise one. He's mighty God, we're told. This again is a shorthand for a king with divine power. This isn't just a human. This is God in human form. He's mighty, almighty God. A king who's coming, whose power will display his goodness and his commitment and his presence. He's the everlasting father, that he's going to be sovereign over all, for all, forever. This is who Jesus is. It's bigger than we ever realized. And he's the prince of peace. He's the royal figure in the heavenly courts who's going to come. And this peace word, it's shalom. It's not just an end to conflict. There's peace, finally. Oh my goodness, thank goodness, that was awful. But shalom, the human flourishing that God promises, is going to come through Jesus. He's the prince of shalom. Because he has authority and wisdom and power to usher it in through his life, death, and resurrection. We know that this peace through his death and resurrection costs him everything. We, we have this more of the story than Isaiah ever had, but it only makes sense when we understand why he came. This is amazing good news for us now, but it's even better good news for all of us, for that which is to come. There's this phrase in here, and the government will be on his shoulders and it'd be tempting to think, wouldn't it, oh, he's just going to step in and kind of hold earthly governments up because they can't cope. It's not what it says here. What actually he's talking about here is this idea that he's going to carry the weight of the world, the whole world. He's going to govern it. He's going to rule over it. He's sovereign over it all. He's stepping in. This, this phrase about something on his shoulders, in those days and still today, that the insignia on the shoulder would have been about authority. The, the oversight of the government of the whole world is on his shoulders. Look, look at my shoulder. I'm in charge. Trust, I, I'm the head one. It's not, it's not that commander. It's not that commander. It's me. It's on me. I've got it. I've got it. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to hold it. And we can say, can't we, that Jesus reigns above all. He's victorious. He's risen from the dead. And that is certainly true. But Isaiah is telling us here about a time that is yet to come. We live in what's called the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's not here yet in its complete full form. More of that in a moment. And Isaiah is saying, yes, he's going to establish it. But he's going to finish the job. He's going to get to the point where actually he then is able to rule over all creation for all time, for all people, as almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's good news. Because who would not want to be ruled by someone like that? So Isaiah, he can see it. He, he doesn't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but he's telling us this is how it's going to be. It's going to start like this. This is the one that's coming, and this is what he's going to do. And when he does what he's going to do, this is what will happen, and this is what it will happen, and this is where it will end up. And you can live into that story. It's good news for all people. I love how Revelation ends with Jesus being given his full and final title. Verse 6 of chapter 19. The day when Jesus has finished everything, it's all made new. He reigns over this glorious world. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering, no more conflict. And it says that he is known as the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. We know that's who he is, but he's still establishing his rule and reign today in and through his kingdom on earth. One day that will be true, says Isaiah. And between now and then, live into it, trust it, because this is what God is doing. And he says he will finish it. I love how Queen Lucy of Narnia puts it in the last battle of C.S. Lewis's epic, Chronicles of Narnia. She says, yes, yes, she says, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Jesus steps in with his whole world and he says, I'm not going to finish until my world transforms your world. And so your world becomes like mine. Finally, some of you will be pleased to know, I want to suggest that the body of Jesus, you and I, the church, is more important than we realize. When we get our heads around the fact that it's better and bigger than we realize, this gift of Jesus, we realize the church is more important than ever. Isaiah finishes this section with this declaration that peace and righteousness will characterize the reign of the Messiah. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Both of those things, that's an entire other sermon. From that time on, that's the return of Jesus, and forever. How? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We hear those words, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like radical revolution. This is world-changing stuff. This should be studied in politics, not just RS. This is good news. The reign of God will be forever. It's being established in and through the church. Jesus came. He began. He's coming again to finish. And between now and that moment, you and I, the people of God, the church, the body of Christ, are entrusted, commissioned, called, empowered, sent to live it out. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it through his people, by his spirit in them. Ordinary nobodies from nowhere places, anywhere and everywhere, all of us, each one of us made in the image of God, restored to the image of God, gifted by God, sent by God, uniquely commissioned. So take your one precious life and lay it down as an act of worship, says Paul, because through you, the everlasting reign of the King of kings and the Lord of lords is being established on the earth and it is good news for you it's good news for your friends but it's good news for everybody we're not making up the numbers we're not faffing about here this is not a spiritual option on top of life as we get told it is this is a total whole life choice and that's why we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Jesus, friends, is better and bigger than we realize. And you and I are more important in this story than we realize. Why? Because right at the very beginning, it says God created Adam and Eve, man and woman, humanity. And he placed them in the garden. 
and he gave them authority, and he commissioned them to fill the earth with the glory of God. And in Jesus, that commission and that call is given back to us. Guys, it's what you're made to do. You are royalty in the kingdom of God. You have authority. You have one stripe less on your shoulder than Jesus, but only one stripe less. Go and establish this kingdom through the way you love, through the way you serve, through the way you worship, through the way you steward your resources, through your holiness, through your radical sacrifice and generosity, through the way you care for people, through the way you live by faith and not by sight, by the way you live a life that makes no sense unless you can talk about Jesus Christ. And when you and I do this together, anything and everything is possible. Tom Wright puts it like this. He says, Isaiah spoke of the authority of the child growing continually, spreading justice and peace throughout the world. And it is through the work of Jesus' followers that this is to come about. The way Jesus exercises his authority, consistent with the nature of that authority, he says, is always through the healing and renewal of human beings, calling them, as he called his first followers, to the dangerous, difficult, but glorious task of working as his agents, growing the kingdom, as we say, making it happen for real people in the real world, with the story of the Christ child in our hearts, he says, and the spirit of Jesus, giving us energy and direction, we are called to be kingdom bringers in whatever sphere we can. Are you up for that? Christmas is good news. Jesus is bigger and better than we realize. Should we stand together? If you're able, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to equip us and empower us for that, to meet us where we need to be met this morning in our mess and our pain as well as in all the excitement and the joy of what this means for 